Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wow, that was even worse than I thought. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. I am Jim Rome. I will address the way I sound momentarily. Let me get the business out of the way first. We are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Uh-oh. Hey, business. <laughs> hey, Rit, you better get ready. You use a gun, I use a fountain. Uh-oh. Whether you want to buy a home or refinance your current home, Rocket can. That's pretty funny, right, clones? To you. I always say that when I have those moments where I'm not quite right. You see, it's getting better already. I have those moments where I'm not quite right, where I never know exactly what's going to go down until I crack open the mic. Well, I cracked open the mic, and then my voice cracked like Kermit the Frog. This should be very, very interesting. All right. Welcome to the program. Our number one is wide open. Open phones. That's not a positive development. Alvin, what I need you to do is start me off with a bed. I need a bed for this next take because I can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm starting the show with some thoughts on the Mets and their positive thoughts. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Classy. Greet the Mets. Hey, by the way, why don't we shake it up? Because these Mets are not those Mets. I want to believe that these Mets are different. I want to believe that these Mets are real. The real ones. Hey, Alvin, why don't you give me something a little bit different? How about some narco? All right. Sounding nice. Hey, Mets fans, how you living? How you feeling right now? How loudly were you blasting? Timmy Trumpet, this AM. I already know the answer. Loud. Loud as hell. Get it, Rit. Good tune, right? Mets fans, I know you were feeling it. I know you were losing your minds last night when Edward Diaz jogged in from the bullpen with those trumpets blaring in the eighth. I will be the first one to say that winning a baseball game in late July does not mean jack. It doesn't matter at all. Not if you're trying to win a World Series. Not if you think you're that good. But last night felt like the World Series for Mets fans. Don't tell me it didn't. I know it did. I'm not telling you Mets fans how to feel. I'm telling you don't tell me that that did not feel like a World Series game. Because the Mets had won 59 before last night. Except none of them mattered nearly as much as last night. Because last night was against the Yankees. Last night was a chance for little brother to rise up and punch big brother, brother in the big face. And that's exactly what they did. First of all, they were playing in front of their third sellout of the year, just three. The other two were opening day and Keith Hernandez's jersey retirement. So you can't tell me last night's game didn't matter to Mets fans. They sold that joint out. And don't even try to act cool about this Mets fan. Don't act like you've been there before because you really haven't. Not in a long-ass time. In fact, be honest with me, Mets fan. You know you were ready to burn your Yoannis jerseys and your Generation KTs after the top of the first, weren't you? You know you were because you saw Aaron Judge step up and do this. 3-2 from Walker. And Judge backs one out to right center field, heading back toward the wall, and it's out of here. Number 38 for Aaron Judge. He provides the keynote in this series going the other way. His third home run and eight career at-bats against Taiwan Walker, and the Yankees take the early 1-0 lead. Well, that sucked. And so did this when Anthony Rizzo chased it on the very next pitch. 38 home runs, leads the majors, 82 RBIs now, ties Pete Alonzo for the lead. Rizzo drives one out to left field. Back goes Canna, and that's out of here. Back-to-back opposite field home runs for Judge and Rizzo, and it's 2-0 Yankees. Number 23 for Rizzo, and the Yankees showing exactly what they are all about. Right, and so are the Mets. Like the most Mets thing ever, right? You're all fired up. You're all hyped up. You can't wait for this one. And before you even settle into your seat, you're down 2 nothing. And be real, Mets fans, you knew that that was going to happen. You had a nice little season going, beating up on little punks, beating up on all the little kids. But then Big Brother came Brother. to your place and gave you an atomic wedgie. Like you knew it was coming. You knew. We all knew. Because that always happens to the Mets. You get your hopes up only to get your souls snatched. 
or maybe not, right? Because these Mets seem different. They seem different. They were down 2 nothing before they even picked up a bat, but then when they did, they went right to work. A quick one-out bomb, and it's 2-1. Then an RBI double, and it's tied up. And then this to take the lead. Two out. That's driven out to left field, and Hicks goes back, takes a look, and it's out of here! Eduardo Escobar with a two-run homer to put the Mets in front. Number 12 for Eduardo Escobar, and the Mets put the hammer down in the opening inning. It's 4-2. I mean, meet the damn Mets. Step right up and meet the bleeping Mets. Meet the Mets. From down 2 nothing, top 4-2 by the time the first inning was even over. Hey, sidebar. Be real. I do sound sexy, right? Do I not? Anyway, listen to Eduardo Escobar talk about that bomb. It was honestly like, like, a, like a World Series home run. I've never, never played in an environment like that. See what I'm saying? Normally, I would not give a damn about a July 26th game. But these guys were acting like it was a World Series game because to them, it felt like a World Series game. Am I right, Pete Alonzo? I've never played in a Major League playoff game before, but if I had to guess, that's, that's what it would be like. Looking to change that this year, though. Of course you haven't. You're a Met. But they're different. These dudes were feeling it. They weren't downplaying it. They weren't saying it's only one win in July. They weren't saying that it didn't matter because it did matter. They were feeling it big time. Mets fan, don't lie to me. You were too. I know you were. However, however, don't tell me in the back of your mind you were not bracing yourself for another here-we-go-again moment, especially when Diaz fumbled a judge grounder in the ninth. I know then that you were prepared for the Mets to do what they always do, choke when it matters most. I mean, Diaz. Diaz has been untouchable. Diaz has been lights out this whole year. And for him to suddenly melt like that under the pressure of the moment really was about the most Mets thing ever. Except he didn't. He bounced back. He strikes out Rizzo, and then he closes it out with this. One and two to Glaber Torres. He struck him out, and the ball game is over. Edwin Diaz for the four-out save. Four strikeouts. The Mets with a 4-1 first inning. Home runs from Marte and Escobar. Terrific defense all night long. And the Mets take the opener from the Yankees, 6-3. to three. Mets win. Mets win. The Mets win. Man, I have not said this in a long, long time. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever said this. But this Mets team is good. Like, really good. Damn good. And I know I've never said this before, but I bet them to win it all. Put my money where my mouth is. I bet them at plus 800, which feels like pretty damn good value to me. And why is that? Number of reasons. Number one, this is a huge Buck Showalter house. Always has been. Always has been. Everywhere he has been, he is a great manager. I'll never forget when I did a tour stop in Arizona way back in the day. And that ballpark had just opened up. And Jerry Colangelo gave me a tour of the facility, which was an amazing thing. And I remember going back in the clubhouse and kicking it with Buck. We had a great talk. Buck was always a good jungle guy. That's a damn good manager. He's one of the reasons why I feel so good about the Mets. The thing, though, and one more thing I want to make, or one more point I want to make about this, he's not just managing this team against the other 29 teams in Major League Baseball. Buck is also managing this team against its own history. And trust me, that's a hell of a lot nastier than that Yankee lineup or the Dodger roster. So I want to be careful on how I say this. I want to be careful in telling you to be careful, Mets fan. Be careful. Enjoy it. Enjoy the win. Enjoy the fact that you just punch Big Brother in the face. But don't get carried away because you know how this has ended in the past with implosion, with rage, with players fighting each other in the tunnel, with Mr. Met flipping off the fans, with that Met kid losing his mind. I'm not here to hate. I'm just here to be pragmatic. I'm just here to remind you that generally this ends badly for the Mets and Met fan. But you know that already, right? In fact, you know what I think I want to do? 
I think, again, I want to keep it positive. I think, again, I want to turn this thing on its head. I think I want to think the best. I want to think positive. There's a lot to like about these guys. There's a lot to like about that manager. There's a lot to like about the fact that they've got a stone-cold closer. There's a lot to like about the fact that the Mets swing their bats every single day. There's a lot to like about the fact that their best player hasn't even played yet. And Jacob DeGrom is getting closer and closer. And when he does come back, if he's anything like the dude that we know him to be, look the hell out. Then I'm all in on the Mets as a legitimate force, as a legitimate contender. Then I'm feeling great about hammering them at plus 800. Even without this guy, I'm almost there. Without this guy, I put my money where my mouth is. Now my question to you, Mets fan, where the hell are you? How good did that feel last night? Are you allowing yourself to believe and go all in? Because to me, that may not have been a World Series game. That may not have been a World Series game. But it sure as hell was not a meaningless midweek game in late July either. And that's not just me talking. That's the Mets players talking. Of course. They haven't been there before. But I like it. I like their energy. I like it. Mets fan, where are you? How'd that feel? Is this the year? Better be. I got you all plus 800. 1-800-636-8686. I just opened the show with a Mets take. I just opened the show with a positive Mets take. I used to open the show by saying the Mets are bleeping legit. Well, actually, I opened the show by saying that I sound like crap. Both those things are true. I sound like crap, and they look pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that sound. Brings a smile to my face every single time because... That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's why I love that sound. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere and synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. They can do all of that for you. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started. I know where we are right now, and I'm still on that journey. And like mine, Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Eli Drinkwitz is my guest. Eli, it's always good to have you on and good to have you back. How are you? Man, I'm doing better than you are. You sound like crap, but you got an opportunity to display some toughness today, Jim, and that's really what fall camp's all about, isn't it? Dude, you are the best. That is the greatest thing that a guest has said to me in a long, long, long time. You sound like crap, Rome, but you have an opportunity. That, that was a legendary response, Eli. I almost want to walk off on that because that in and of itself would already make for one of the best interviews I've ever conducted. You should be very proud of yourself. That was awesome. All right, well, I appreciate said that. it. That was so great. And I was, I was going to say this too, Jim. I thought you were going to introduce my record, but with the latest allegations against Tennessee, let's hold up on what my record is because I expect them to vacate some wins, and that's going to help my record a little bit. Okay? Oh, man, this, so, is, this is getting be better. Easy. This is getting so much better. Can I ask you, I wasn't necessarily going to go there, but you would be the beneficiary of that. Can I, Since you brought it up, can I get your reaction to the latest allegations against Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, me personally, I got to question my wife's commitment to winning. You know, I mean, I don't know how much she's committed if she's not engaging in some of these things. I didn't know that was fair play. So, uh, you know, we got to, you know, it was a little bit surprising to see the uh, in-depth nature of what was going on there. 
but I, I am sure glad that Tennessee was taking some ownership of it, and, and uh, we'll see what the results are. Um, you know, but uh, it's pretty interesting for sure. My man, if I were you, I'd walk off right now, and then you can go down as the best guest ever. Eli, one more thought about that. It's one thing to say that I didn't know that my wife could get involved and help me cheat. Well, that's not what you said, but I'll say that. Even better that she did did she not used to have some sort of compliance responsibility where she had been previously as well? One thing to have the wife involved, but what if she was involved also in compliance and making sure that they follow the rules allegedly? How much better does that make it? I mean, it's uh, shoot pressure. You know, pressure does crazy things to people, and uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure to win in the SEC. So that's I don't know. That's that's crazy. Eli Drinkwitz, my guest, and a great one at that. So <laughs> I was going to start you off with something else, but that that's better. I sound like crap in Tennessee cheats. Anyway, what about this? SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey yeah. declared that you are the owner of the largest Jordan shoe collection of any FBS head coach. First off, would you agree with that assessment? And then given how large it is, what are some of your favorite pairs? <laughs> First off, uh, I definitely do not have the largest one in the uh, in college football. My man Tony Elliott at Virginia is a definite sneakerhead, and he's got a ton. and And my, uh, my guy Lincoln Riley at USC, they used to be a Jordan school. They got plenty. I've got a I got a decent collection. I, I think uh, it's been something I've kind of got interested in. And uh, you know, now that I've been able to financially have a little freedom that I can purchase, you know shoes the way I want to you just kind of match up your shoes to your outfit and add a little swag to to what you're trying to wear that day that's that's kind of how I go about it I love it Eli Drinkwitz joining us he's the head coach at Missouri all right so you're going to open up with three non-conference games when SEC play starts then you go to Auburn you're at home against Georgia then you go to Gainesville for three straight weeks pretty daunting stretch but so is living in the SEC what are you learning or looking to learn and establish about your team before you get to the SEC opener well, I mean, uh, playing La Tech, a team that's going to have a brand new coaching staff, you're not quite sure what they're going to do, uh, and then you got to go play at K State is is a huge challenge in and of itself. And so, I think for us, I mean, the number one thing we have to do is improve on defense. You know, defense wins championships, and uh, we haven't even been close to a championship level defense quite yet. And so. We, we've got to improve there. Uh, I think the biggest thing for us in showing those signs of improvement would be, you know, there were three games we lost last year. Where we had the it was either lead or tied in the fourth quarter. We got to have the ability to close out games on defense, um, and, and so that's the number one thing we got to improve on in the first three games. And then I think the second thing we got to do is be more explosive offensively. We kind of got into a bunker mentality where we were trying to play not to lose and protect people and. We can't do that. We got to let our quarterbacks go out there and play the game and, and uh, live on the edge a little bit, be more explosive. Uh, and so, I, I think really for me, that's that's what fall camp is for us: is push push the envelope offensively with our quarterback play, and then defensively build that toughness. Uh, and that consistency that plays at a championship level. All right, so I love that mindset. Eli Drinkwitz joining us. I love the mindset that we have to be more explosive, that playing not to lose is going to get you beat. But what about this? You're replacing your starting quarterback and a record-setting running back. So what's the mindset offensively in trying to replace key guys like that? Well, I think that's exactly it. I mean, now I'll say this about our, our running back, who is a heck of a player. The Baltimore Ravens are going to be really glad that they got him. But going into the season, nobody expected him to be who he was. He got that opportunity. He took advantage of it. And that's what's so beautiful about college football is it's players taking advantage of opportunities. Um, and and that's, a, that's the same mindset our quarterback's got to have. And, and we can't play scared at the quarterback position, and I can't call play scared at the quarterback position. I've got to be aggressive. We've got to have an aggressive mindset. I think the other thing with whoever our quarterback is going to be, uh, you know, we're going to have the ability to let him create uh, you know, it's the old Bill Parcells quote, man, we're, we're going to give him the ingredients. He gets to cook the meal, you know, and so we're going to let him play to his strengths, have the framework for what we wanted to do, but him go out there and create. We are talking Missouri football. We're talking mindset, too. Something else about mindset. You made the point. I think this is really interesting. Quote, the discipline, discipline to compete precedes the discipline to win. Can you break that down for me? What does the discipline to compete look like? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes like this. Everybody wants to win, right? You want to go out there and win. 
but it's a discipline that every single play you're going to compete to be your very best. And if you can think about that, like I go out to a, a practice, I go out to lift weights, like, yeah, we want to win on Saturdays, but if you don't go out there and compete every single rep today in practice, you're not going to win on Saturdays. And there has to be a discipline to that. Uh, Coach Saban, I would say, calls that the process. For us, it's just that discipline to compete where every single day it all matters and adds up to winning. You know, on top of that, and I do love that, you need to compete at everything all day, every day, all week in order to have Saturday go the way you want Saturday to go. But then you're looking for a certain type of player, right? You told The Athletic this generation is one that wants to leave its mark on a place. They're trailblazers. They want to go build colonies on Mars, stuff like that. So it's kind of the same thing for me in college football. This is one of those untapped frontiers. And to quote, again, another great quote, how do you go about connecting or finding even this generation of trailblazers? How do you make the case also that Missouri is the place where they can trailblaze? Well, I think, you know, this is a place that hasn't won a national championship. Every major sport, uh, professional sport in the state of Missouri has won a championship. Whether you're talking about Sporting KC, the Cardinals, the, the Blues, the Chiefs, the Royals, they've all been at the highest level. But the state of Missouri has not won a national championship in any collegiate activity that I'm, I'm aware of. And so for me, that's, that in and of itself gives you an opportunity to blaze your own trail. Um, it's been since 2007 since we've won a BCS uh, uh, or New Year's Six bowl game. All right. So again, the opportunity is there to accomplish something that hasn't been done before. And for me, that's kind of what drives me, e even in the generation that I'm of. Like when I went, when we were at Appalachian State. You know, we knew that as a Power Five pro or as a Group of Five program, we had not beaten a Power Five school. We went into North Carolina, went into South Carolina, and did that. We knew that you, we they hadn't been ranked longer than one week in their history. We went six straight weeks being ranked and then finished the season ranked. And so those are things that we've identified. It's the same way here. I think you have to figure out what is that thing that hasn't been done before and clearly lay it out to the team and say, hey, this is something we can accomplish. Do you all want to buy into doing this together? Eli, one thing you mentioned in generation, I'm glad you did. When you talk about generation, I mean, you're from a different generation. I'm from a different generation. You're dealing with young people, and I would say that people, not only just coaches, but really in any walks of life in terms of leadership, lots of people are quick to say that young people today are selfish or they're self-centered or they don't get it or they don't want to put the time in. What would you say generally about the young people that you are talking to, getting to know, and recruiting? What's the vibe like? Are they so different now than they used to be? back in the day, back from the ones you coached at Springdale High School back in the day? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're different. But I think that's from us, that's projecting. We're the one that raised them. So we just raised them uh, in a way that was different than the way we were raised. That goes into a whole different psychology of, of, of why it's that way. Yeah, they're absolutely different. Um, but it does, different doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different. So you have to embrace the, the differences, embrace the changes. We're all human. Um, we all want to win at something. We just got to find what makes people tick. And, you know, I think for us, uh, what we've kind of figured out is we got to make sure that they understand winning has its rewards. You know, um, in college football, you know, different than when maybe they were raised where everybody got a trophy. Man, in college football, winning has its rewards. Mediocre does not. And so we got to make sure we emphasize winning and make sure that they're rewarded when they do that. Eli, let me ask you this. My guy, Ed Milet, has got a great saying. Ed says that winning is more fun than fun is fun. Would you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fun is in the winning. I know that. And uh, and that's, that's the reason why you do it. I think there's something special about a collective group of people coming together for a common goal and then achieving that. That's a different feeling than, than you have anywhere else. And um I, I do think, too, that the, the fun that you have in winning is, is proportional to the struggle that you have to get there. So, like, the bigger the struggle, the bigger the fun is when you get it, when you get the reward of winning. You know, when you beat up a team that you're supposed to beat and the struggle's not all that big of a deal, the fun is it's more like a relief. But, man, when you see that team, uh, you know, in 2020, uh, 20, you just play the defending national champions and they get four, four cracks of it on the one-yard line and you beat them at the end, Man, there ain't nothing like that feeling because Eli, that struggle was real. 
You know it. The struggle is real. The struggle is always real. He's the head football coach of Missouri entering his third year. They open up against Louisiana Tech on September 1st. Expectations high once again. Eli, I really appreciate you. That was an awesome conversation. Most of all, I appreciate you telling me I sound like crap. However, it's an opportunity to show grit, toughness, and an ability to persevere. So thank you very much for reminding me of that fact. And it's always good to have you on. All right, buddy. You have a good one. Thanks for inviting me on today. So I have a brand new product that I can't wait to tell you about, the Turbo Extreme Steam Steam and Iron 2-in-1. I love this bad boy. I'll tell you what, if you know anything about me, even before my radio program became a TV simulcast, I always want to look buttoned up, always want to look professional. And part of that is making sure that I am wrinkle-free. I found myself the most powerful handheld steamer. I love it. It's fast, and there is easy wrinkle removal, an extra-large sole plate that can be used vertically or horizontally, and it works without steam as a dry iron. I'm talking about the Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. Advanced heat technology is ready almost instantly, and it obliterates wrinkles with turbocharged dry steam. Four settings for delicate to turbo is perfect for all fabrics. Plus, it is easy to use, and it's great both for at home or on the go. Again, I love this product. To get yours today, go to Amazon and search for Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. That's Conair Turbo Extreme Steam. Dan Wetzel is joining us. I'm good. Not easy to follow Coach Drinkwitz, though. Oh, man, you wouldn't even believe. You probably didn't hear it. He was out of his mind. He was incredible. And it leads us into the the best. All right, so it leads us into this. Like, I want to get into conference realignment with you in a moment, but why don't we pick up the conversation that he actually started? I want to talk to something that was actually a little under the radar last week, but no longer. The news that Tennessee was hit with a notice of allegations regarding 18 recruiting allegations. These happened under former head coach Jeremy Pruitt and alleges that his wife was involved as well. I mean, Dan, the financial amount of these violations was not that big. So just how stupid is this entire thing? (laughs) Best part is his wife was a former uh, compliance director when she worked at Florida State and uh, Troy. So uh, you have a former compliance director allegedly making uh, car payments for recruits, which I don't think you have to be a compliance director. You can be a casual college sports fan to know that probably is against the rules, right? Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it was amazing. The it's only sixty thousand dollars, but obviously they do it because it works or they think it's going to work. But uh, first, these were done. A lot of these visits were done, um, and they, they didn't hide it at all. Like there were hotel rooms with their with the coaches' names on it. And, and credit card bills with the coach's credit cards and things like that. Really dumb stuff. Um, communications not done on burner phones. Really basic NCAA cheating 101 uh, that Tennessee should, should be far better schooled in. But, like, first off, they were, they were taking visits during, like, the COVID dead period. So, like, every school in the country is like, okay, no one's allowed to make recruiting, allow recruiting visits because of COVID, right? Then, even if it wasn't COVID, these were still during the so-called dead period of the recruiting calendar. So you're not allowed to have anyone on for COVID. Then you're not allowed to have everyone on anyway. And then when you have them on, you're not allowed to give them a hotel room, buy them meals, take them out to things. So they just kept, like, piling on the violations. And, I mean, I imagine as a, as a case, this was pretty easy for the NCAA to be like, this is all wrong, uh, just not a lot of wiggle room for Tennessee. Now, the beauty of college sports is this. By causing these violations, Jeremy Pruitt may lose out on his $12.6 million buyout. So the University of Tennessee was actively participating in the investigation of their own violations because it will help them beat a $12.6 million buyout. 
That's college football at its finest. That that is so great. And then it's not so great for a reason I'll get into in a moment. Dan Wetzel is joining us. One more thing about the allegations. We're also talking about things like, you know, the hotel rooms, the airline tickets. However, a trip to the Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies, a $225 bill at a nail salon, $225 at McDonald's. I mean, things like that. Your point is also extremely well taken, that they actively are involved so they can get out of paying him so they're helping investigate but if that's the case and that's the way we're going are we not concerned Dan that we're going to lose some of the awesomeness and weirdness of cheating scandals like this I am terrified we're going to lose them because I they drive so many great storylines and and uh high comedy through the years and, and put these characters out there but um even with name image and likeness uh you still can't pay someone's car car ticket right or to car tap you you know you still there are still rules that that are in place of what you can and can't do so some of these yeah were you know uh a million restaurants they went to you know chick-fil-a breakfast and stuff like that which in fairness pretty good breakfast you know that might do it um it might swing you but um all the different all the different antics on this thing i mean the penguin show at that aquarium in gatlinburg really good rome really good you should check it out <laughs> Um, you can see why that's the one. You, 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 it doesn't take much to realize why Tennessee stunk, uh, okay. other than, than to know these, this was how they were trying to get the recruits. Well, no, I understand. Right, exactly. That, that tells you why they stunk and why they sucked. What it doesn't tell me is why they hired Pruitt in the first place, and even more importantly, <laughs> Dan, how absurd was it that they gave this guy a raise after his second year? Well, they hired Pruitt because the fans decided to revolt that Greg Schiano wasn't right. a good enough coach. So they ran out the athletic director who tried to hire Greg Schiano, and they they basically let the fans make the hire, and they hired Jeremy Pruitt, who wasn't in any way capable of being a head coach, and uh, and that that came out, and then you have all of this uh, that follows from it, and they had they brought back because they fired uh, John Curry, their 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 AD, they brought back Phil Fulmer to be the AD, and for reasons no one understands, after two years he gave. He gave um, gave Pruitt a contract extension. Not that anybody on earth was going to try to hire him away. Uh, gave him anyway, and that's what built up this huge buyout. But then in the end, they're going to get bailed out on the bad contract extension and buyout because Pruitt and his wife were out there spending money on everybody. So, uh, according to the NCAA report, so again, it's a circle of nonsense that is just so uniquely college football. Uh, you don't have to be a volunteer fan to uh, to, to laugh at it. And, I, and actually, if, if they get out of the money, even the volunteer fans are kind of laughing at it. A circle of nonsense. Dan Wetzel joining us. I mean, such a circle of nonsense that I haven't even gotten to the real stuff. But before I let you go, let's see some of the real stuff. Not that that's not real right there, because that is. But part of the changes in college sports are involving USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. It's clear what they bring mm-hmm. to the Big Ten, Dan, in terms of revenue and recruiting. But how do you see them fitting into the Big Ten from an identity standpoint? I guess what I'm asking you is this. Is there enough bush light in Southern California <laughs> for you to declare it Big Ten country? Well, look, at you know, there's a, there's a perception. You live in Southern California. There's a perception that it's just craft beers or fancy, you know, fancy cocktails out in, you know, out in California. Fair. But California's a big place, <laughs> big, diverse place. So is in L.A. There's plenty of bush light getting sold, plenty of natty light, plenty of Big Ten style beers out there. Um, they'll fit in. They'll fit in quite well. Uh, I think it'll it'll work. It, it'll it'll take a little getting used to. But, um, you know, especially UCLA, but even in some ways, USC. There are so many Big Ten alums in L.A. that they are going to sell out their stadium probably every – now, maybe a little bit like the Sandy, uh, the uh, L.A. Chargers, where there's a whole lot of Wisconsin fans at the Rose Bowl for a UCLA game. But if you're trying to make money and stuff the coffers of the athletic department, like having every game against Big Ten, big, these huge Big Ten schools where millions of uh, – collectively millions of Big Ten alums live in the city uh, is, a, is a huge benefit. So – I think uh, I think it'll take a little adjustment, but but uh, I have faith in the, in the Bruins and the Trojans. They'll they'll get in on the uh, they'll get in on the fun. No, you're right about that. I we have a son who goes to Wisconsin. I was at that Rose Bowl game. There was a whole lot of red. So you're right about that. Let me ask you this: How badly would the Big Ten 
like to add Notre Dame? And then this time around, how do you see Notre Dame approaching all of this? So they would like to add Notre Dame because Notre Dame is the one school out there that's not in the ACC that has real value uh, in terms of television. Um, and part of, what, part of what taking UCLA and USC did was not just add the L.A. market and improve the television draw of the Big Ten. It also decimated the Pac-12, which was uh, as, as, these, as these networks go to look for college football inventory – the Big Ten was the big, the big fish that was out there because the SEC is already tied up. So everyone's trying to bid on the Big Ten, but you could make a case that the old Pac-12 with USC and UCLA was a pretty good plan B, not a bad alternative. But when you, when you strip them down, you, you increase your demand by limiting the supply because the new, big, the big, new Pac-12 doesn't have nearly the draw that it had. So now these television networks are more desperate even more desperate to get in on the Big Ten package. So it's like a dueling way to, to rise your revenue. By, it's, a, it's like if there's two houses in the neighborhood, not only do you add an addition, but you tear down their addition and their house looks worse, your house becomes more valuable. So that was part of it. They would love to get Notre Dame, but Notre Dame is not going to go unless they believe that their, their access to the college football playoff, it has, they have to join a conference to maintain that access. They should get a nice number from NBC when they renegotiate their deal, which is up in a couple of years. Uh, will it be as high as the Big Ten? No. Will it be, you know, let's say the Big Ten schools are getting $100 million. Could they get 60 or 70 We'll see. If it's close enough, and that could be even 30% below, Notre Dame has enough money to cover that. They're not going to worry about it. They don't have as big of an athletic department as, say, Ohio State or Michigan. Um, Notre Dame has tons of money. No one's ever been on the campus in Notre Dame and said, boy, this place is poor. So they can make up the revenue gap. I mean, they literally paint their most famous building gold. So they, they can make up the revenue. What they need is access to that playoff because if they have access, they can recruit. And if they can recruit, they can do well. It's the biggest thing in recruiting is can you win the championship? Gonzaga recruits, Gonzaga basketball recruits an NBA lottery pick every single year even though it's in the West Coast Conference, even though it's way up in eastern Washington. Because they, they, Mark Few can say, hey, look, you go to the NBA and you can go to the Final Four here. That's enough. It's not that much different for Notre Dame. So as long as Marcus Freeman's out there saying we can win the title, we can play in the playoff, and you can go to the NBA, NFL, we're going to be fine. So they're not going to get Notre Dame unless that playoff thing changes or the money doesn't come in for the Irish and the way Notre Dame's program is rolling right now, I expect that money to come in for the Irish. Dan Wetzel, my guest, extremely well said. Dan, one last thought, if you don't mind. So when you talk about a, a neighborhood with two houses, the two best houses, then you got the other teardowns, what about the neighborhood overall? Like, are we talking about when you look at SEC expansion and Big Ten expansion, are we not speeding towards a neighborhood where there's just two houses? I mean, two massive conferences for college football and then a bunch of other conferences and schools that just really don't matter at all. Uh, absolutely. We went from, you know, at one point we had the Power Six, which included the Big East, and then that got torn down. And then you still had the Big the Big Ten, the SEC, obviously, you had the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. It was the Power Five. Well, now we're looking towards the Power Two. And whereas the ACC is a little bit behind competitively, and then the Pac-12 and Big 12 are, are trying to hold themselves up, but they've lost it. So, um, we're moving closer and closer to just two school, two two program two conferences, and you could see it set up. You know where, you know, do you have twenty or twenty two teams in each of those two leagues, and you basically have an AFC versus an NFC, and you play in a Super Bowl. You know, is that how you do it? Each the SEC has a playoff one day, and the and the Big Ten has a playoff, and and then you meet in the Super Bowl. All of that's the kind of stuff that television executives want because they give you huge numbers, 6 million viewer games, 8 million, 12 million, 14. They're trying to create an NFL light. For everyone who just loves college football in totality, this is not what you want. The people like me who love the sport in that way, we want Washington State to be competitive and, and, and have a chance. We want Blue Turf and Boise. We want – uh, you know, all, uh, the, the, the TCU and SMU to have a rivalry game. We want all of it. 
all the mayhem. We want Iowa State to matter in different ways. It doesn't mean they're ever going to win the championship or be Alabama, but right now we have 130 schools competing for one championship. They come from all shapes and sizes, big cities, small, small states, uh, military academies, religious institutions, little private schools, big state schools. It's the chaos that makes it so much fun in totality. And that's running counter to what the TV guys are trying to say is, I don't care about uh, a, a television game that only tracks 500,000. I need more 5 million. I get that. But that's where the balance between business and, and what the, the tradition of the sport really is. It, it, that's, that's a very fine line to walk for these guys. It's amazing stuff. Such, such good stuff. And we did not even get to what I wanted to ask you about the Patriots, so I would encourage the listeners. Dan Wessel's got a great column up about Bill Belichick right now at Yahoo Sports. You want to check that out, too. He is a Yahoo Sports columnist, a New York Times bestselling author, and EP on the Aaron Hernandez Netflix doc and many other things. Bush Light enthusiast as well. Dan, really appreciate you. Great job as always. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ron. Always fun. I think I want to start this with a quick question. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well then, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel, and it offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Now that right there is a number. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin, leaving your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect it. What I'm saying is, try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. Jerry Jones might have shown up to Cowboys camp. And I'm always fascinated by that. You know how Manny in Oxnard called this week for the first time in, like, years? I've never not been fascinated by the Cowboys having their camp in Oxnard, of all places. And nothing against Oxnard. I mean, I grew up not that far away from Oxnard. But I've always been amazed by that. T.O., Thousand Oaks, Oxnard. But he likes it out here. So anyway, Jerry may have shown up looking to endorse Mike McCarthy as his head coach. And then he did, sort of. But then he managed to go all Jera with it. This is what he had to say about the big fella, Mikey. I want to be real clear. He wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't think he was the man to lead this team to a Super Bowl. He would not be. And I have choices. Lots of helmet endorsement. A hell of an endorsement right up until the last four words. Nothing like saying, this guy is the guy. This is the guy. This is my guy. And then chasing that with some other guys. Because we all know the other guys. The other guys are Sean Payton and Dan Quinn. And we know that Jarrah loves him, both of them. So if the Melon Smasher was hoping that yesterday would put an end to all those questions about his future with the Cowboys, it didn't. And it won't. Those questions are never going to end. Because Jarrah doesn't want them to end. You see, Jarrah is about to turn 80. He's about to turn 80, and he wants everybody to know he's got a big birthday coming up. Told him I got a birthday coming up here real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time to have a bad time. (laughs) It ain't on my schedule. (laughs) I don't have time to have a bad time. It ain't on my schedule. What? I don't have time to have a bad time. It ain't on my schedule. It ain't on my schedule. (laughs) Let me translate that for you. I don't have time to have a bad time. It ain't on my schedule. It ain't on my schedule. Because what he's saying is, the thing that is on his schedule. It ain't on my schedule. Croaking. Dying. I don't have time to have a bad time. It ain't on my schedule. Schedule. Going into the ground is, though. And what this guy's saying is, I'm running out of time, big fella. I need to win, and I need to win right now. I'm on the clock. I'm running out of time. I have a schedule. Schedule. And the question is, is Mike McCarthy the guy to do that? 
And while Jerry did not really want to answer that, I will. The answer is no, he's not. If winning a Super Bowl and doing it this season is on your schedule, my schedule, he's not the coach. That's why Jerry was saying stuff like, quote, we need to be in the playoffs. We need to be viable in the playoffs for it to be a successful season, end of quote. Mike can get you to the playoffs, especially in that weak-ass division. He might even be able to make you viable in the playoffs, whatever the hell that means. But he's not going to win you a Super Bowl. And that's the only way these questions about Big Mike are going to go away. So while Jerry may think that was something of an endorsement, it wasn't. He said it himself. He's got options. And he wants Mike to know that he has options. And that Mike has to also know that Jerry is on a schedule. A schedule. And the schedule means that he doesn't know how much time he still has left above ground. And he wants to win one of these things again before he's beneath the ground. That's his schedule. That's the schedule, the unspoken schedule that he's talking about. My schedule. Then there's the other thing. It's part of his schedule. My schedule. If you want to put the McCarthy rumors to bed and make that the headline, he failed because somehow, some way in that presser, he managed to get himself in hot water with the little people of America. For some reason, Jerry dropped an M-bomb in the middle of his press conference. He was talking about a former team executive, Larry Lacewell, who passed away. And somehow, while paying tribute to Larry, he managed to offend a lot of people. He was talking about the fact that he and his son, Stephen, went to Arkansas for Lacewell's service. Stephen and I went over to Jonesboro and were part of a lot of our staff, certainly our scouts, Jonesboro, Arkansas, when they gave a big memorial to Lace and uh, Lace held court out here and I've always, uh, uh, I'm going to get me somebody about a midget to stand up there with me and dress him up like Lace and think Lace is still out here helping us look at the uh, practice with us. But, uh, you know, we all need our props and a little memory that goes with it. But uh, here he is to Lace, really, and I'm serious about that. This dude, just thinking he's up there crushing it. Classic Jerry, right on schedule. Paying tribute to a guy and managed to insult an entire group of people at the exact same time. That's like the most Jerry tribute ever. Praising a guy while also dropping an insulting term and saying that you're going to hire a little person and dress that person up in a costume so you can remember your friend and pay tribute. Because there's nothing dehumanizing about that. Just hiring another human to be a prop or a punchline. Good stuff, Jer. Really good stuff and right on schedule. My schedule. Like people have known for years that that term that you used is offensive. This is why Marvin Lewis apologized for using it eight years ago. But this dude's out there dropping it while attempting to pay tribute to a friend. Like if that was a tribute, I think that was a tribute. Or either that or Jerry looking for a punchline and looking to bring the house down. Of course, he had to circle back later on and issue the apology right on schedule. Quote, earlier today I made a reference which I understand may have been viewed as offensive. I apologize. End of quote. Offensive language while paying tribute to a friend and trying to endorse his head coach while reminding his head coach that he's got other options. Very Jerry. Very, very Jerry. Mike is lucky that Jerry did not call him lardass or fat Mike or fat piece of crap while giving him the endorsement because apparently that's what he does to his friends. So Jerry's getting older, but he's not changing. And he's not getting any more enlightened. He's just running out of time. Personally, I would love to see him get one more before he croaks. I want to see him relive his glory days one last time. I just hate to see the Cowboys win it. And Jerry's just up there like a taxidermy dummy propped up in the owner's box with Steven moving his hand to say hi to the cameras like a bad weekend at Bernie's remake. I don't want that. I want this guy to win it. My schedule. It's a bad time to have a bad time. 
He's on a schedule. I hope he gets My his. Schedule. I do. He's been My great schedule. for the game. I hope he gets his. I just know Mike's not going to get it for him. That's not part of the schedule. My schedule. Mona, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing? I'm so great. How are you? I'm fantastic. And I don't think you need any vinegar or anything. You sound great. Not as good as you sound, Mona. You sound amazing. <laughs> as, as for Jeremy Pruitt, those fans, those of us fans who did not want him to be hired in the first place are laughing all the way to Nayland Stadium this fall. You know it, Mona. I, I haven't heard one word you said, though, after you said, I sound great. You're so right. And what you think matters most of all, Mona. Nice job. Rack her, by the way. I'm this close to giving her a golden Rack ticket. Him. Arrowhead. Patrick, what's going on? Hey, well, let me pat my mom's here, brother. I heard you were sounding like a frog this morning. I figured that'd be a good excuse for me to call you. We're having a big week, Romy. We got training camp starting up. Coach Reed is putting together some good game plans for us. I do miss my boy Tyreek this week. Hey, that kind of rhymes. Tyreek this week. My boy Pringle is gone too. He went to Chicago. But at least the Bears gave us back Matt Nagy, am I right? We do have some new guys in here. We got that guy Juju now. He's already doing some new TikToks with my wife and my brother. I can't wait to see those. Not. But you know, Romy, I listened to your smack-off recently. I was not impressed by your roster of callers. The roster of smack-off callers is weaker than the wide receiver room in Kansas City. Oops, did I just say that out loud? But seriously, Rom, there's really only one guy from the smack-off who I think deserves my respect. You want to take one guess as to who that is? Yes, I would, actually. Would you like to hear my guess? Yes, sir. Hey, Patrick, I bet the guy you're referring to is Broadway Vic. Victor Inoka. Correct the Mundo, Rome. That guy is unbelievable. I see a lot of myself in him. You know, I only need 13 seconds to drive the length of the field and put a clown suit on those losers from Buffalo. Much like Broadway Vic only needs 13 seconds to destroy that other idiot from Buffalo who calls your show. What's his face? All stick in Buffalo, is it? That's it for me, Romy. Were the 49ers firing John Lynch for drafting Solomon Thomas over me and then following that up by drafting Trey Lance over Justin Fields? I'm out. Uh, Why'd you do that, Albert? You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Why did you do that, Alvin? Why did you run him? Alvin's reaction, because I was going to rack the phone call, actually. Good night now!